Hi, my name is Mallory Jenner Robinson. Join me on a hateful homicide, a true crime and investigative journalism podcast dedicated to telling the stories regarding the murders of our transgender, gender non-binary, intersex, and two-spirit community members in the United States and abroad. This is a hateful homicide. What's your emergency? An arrest in the death of a transgender woman. When we talk about the LGBT community's marginalization, trans women of color specifically experience the most violence. These cases are true. The victims are real and their voices matter. This is a hateful homicide. The murder of Robert Eats. Southern Discomfort, Sunday, January 17th, 1999, Tacoa, Georgia. Warning, the following episode you're about to experience may contain evidence of misgendering. Discretion is advised. It's Easter morning, and it's sunrise. And I wish I could understand why they did what they did, and why they had to feel that way. And I know in a way they've contributed to my dying here. But I can't hate them. I don't hate them. I feel sorry for him. I can't say I actually forgive him for what they've done. I think that's more between them and God. But I don't hate him. I guess what makes me most sad is that They probably feel like they did the right thing. It's Sunday, January 17th, 1999, in the city of Tacoa, Georgia. It would be the home where 53-year-old, transgendered, white male Robert Ease did reside. And when he passed away that morning in his long-term care facility, it was send the city of Tacoa into a tizzy. Welcome, my audience, to Season 5, Episode 4, The Murder of Robert Eads, Southern Discomfort. This case involves medical malpractice, failure to provide adequate health care for a man suffering with cancer. And as we go through this case, we will learn about the extraordinary life of Robert Eads. But before, let's take a moment to learn a little bit more about the city of Tacoa, Georgia. My name is Melissa B. McCall, also known as The Selling Bee, and my team and I get calls and emails every day from people just like you, looking for help on making their move to Northeast Georgia and the Western Upstate South Carolina. And we absolutely love it. Whether you're moving in nine days or 90 days, give us a call, shoot us a text, or send us an email. All the information is in the description below so we can help you make a smooth move to the Northeast Georgia area. So as I mentioned, we are in Tacoa, Georgia, and although I am not a native to Tacoa, I remember visiting this place as a young girl because some of my closest friends were from here, and I have the fondest memories of my visits to Tacoa with them. As you can see, I am in downtown Tacoa. And just to give you some quick specs on where Tacoa is actually located, it is a city located in the far Northeast Georgia near the border of South Carolina. And it's in the county of Stevens County. 
It's located about 50 miles from Athens, Georgia, and about 50 miles northeast of Atlanta. Now, if you were downtown, I would highly recommend you check this area out. It offers vibrant storefronts and services and contains one of only three Southern Crescent Amtrak stations in the state of Georgia. Super cool. So let's say it's breakfast time. You definitely want to check out Linda's Place at The Rebel or check out some of the brunch items at R&R Prime. Also, be sure to take a look at the architecture of the courthouse. There are several cute and unique retail stores that offer Southern-themed gifts, and there are restaurants that just have some good eating. You should definitely check out two restaurants here. I'm gonna tell you the names. The first one is called the X Factor Grill, and one of the region's favorite restaurants is called Shirley's Soul Food, which is literally the best Southern food this side of Atlanta. Welcome back, my audience. And as we just learned, the city of Tacoa, Georgia, has a lot of beautiful places to offer. The family of Robert Eads was notified of his hateful homicide later in the afternoon on that Sunday, January 17th, 1999. Now, I know you may be possibly thinking, Mallory, he wasn't murdered. How is this case a hateful homicide? Well, like the murder of Tower Hunter in season two, episode 10, First Do No Harm, we learn that medical neglect, the intentional rejection of someone's medical care simply due to their race, sexuality, gender identity, or gender expression, can lead to a direct result of someone's hateful homicide. And that is exactly what happened to Robert Eads. He was diagnosed with cancer of the ovaries and was refused proper medical care from his insurance company all the way to his direct medical provider. This case explores privilege and shows that even the most privileged individuals, such as white men, can even be denied sufficient medical care just because of their identity. Robert Ease had medical insurance later in life, but not initially. And so he did have access to some medical facilities that he reached out to. And one could imagine you know, and it still did little to no comfort to aid him in what would be his hateful fate. This would be later termed his Southern discomfort. And as the family of Robert Eads is notified of his hateful homicide, let's take a moment and learn a little bit about Robert's journey to television. The Southern discomfort Robert Eads faced in his beloved hometown of Tacoa, Georgia his story resonated with the residents in Robert's hometown, a man dying of cancer and being denied even the most basic medical liberties. Robert's case captured the hearts of documentarian Kate Davis. She partnered with HBO Network to cover the life and subsequent death of Robert Ease. How a man, a white identified man, could be refused medical care because of his gender identity. It shocked the nation as it was still in the wake of the hateful homicides of Matthew Shepard, Reader Hester, and James Byrd Jr. less than a year earlier. Individuals, community members, loved ones who were simply murdered out of hate due to how they identified in this world. The country was outraged. And as the announcement of Robert's hateful homicide, it sends shockwaves throughout the nation now let's learn a little bit about Robert's journey to being featured in the 2001 HBO hit Southern Comfort, known as the life and death of Robert Eads. I am a female to male transsexual, partially post-op. I have not had bottom surgery. I have just been told I have cancer. The hospital gave me your doctor's name as a referral. I need an appointment. Oh, I'm sorry, we're not taking any new patients right now. I asked if they could refer me to another doctor. Oh, no, I, I, I wouldn't know who to refer you to. You need to call the hospital and ask them. So I call the hospital. They give me three more names. I go through the same thing three more times. All of a sudden, when they realize I'm a transsexual, I, we're not really taking any more patients right, any new patients right now. I'm sorry, we can't help you. 
Two of them were honest enough to tell me, I'm sorry, but it would be an embarrassment to my other patients to have you here in the office. It had metastasized. It was spreading. I needed immediate treatment. He hung up. He was going to call and make arrangements for me. He called three different hospitals. They wouldn't take me. He saw me and accepted me and treated me as a human being. And that's something that all those other doctors didn't. To them, I wasn't anything. My life wasn't worth anything. They didn't want to lose one or two clients to save my life. I'm, I'm expendable. But Dr. McPhee treated me with respect. He treated me with dignity. And isn't that just what you've wanted? And That's all any of us want. It's not just me or people in the transgender community. It's everybody in this world. The only thing that anybody ever really wants is to be treated with respect and dignity because that's everybody's right. You're born into this world, you struggle through it, and you finally are allowed to die. And the only thing that you can really hope for that's going to mean anything at all is that somewhere along there you were recognized and treated with respect and dignity Welcome back, my audience. And as we learned, Robert refused to let any medical provider just tell him no. We are not accepting any new patients. He relentlessly, and I mean relentlessly, continued to fight for himself and the entire transgender community. He stated perfectly that all any of us in this world wants is to be treated with respect and dignity. It's April 12th, 1996, Toccoa, Georgia. Robert Eads begins to experience frontal anatomy discomfort. He bleeds profusely and is confused as to what is causing his ailment. He and his partner, Lola Cola, race to the nearest emergency room, where Robert would later be diagnosed with cancer of the ovaries. ER doctors inform Robert that he must get treated by an oncologist immediately in order to survive. So let's fast forward my audience to 1997, almost a year since Robert Eads received his devastating cancer diagnosis. At this point, he has now visited, he and Lola have visited up to 22 medical providers and each and every one of them refused him. Some even admitted why they refused him. And it was because it would make their other patients uncomfortable. Kate Davis, the incredible cisgendered woman and documentarian who would meet Robert at the True Spirit FTM conference in Maryland, circa 1997-1998. And as Robert began to discuss his Southern discomfort with his medical insurance, his medical providers, and the entire Southern healthcare system, Kate begins to capture Robert's remaining moments on Earth. And in this incredible documentary, again, titled Southern Comfort, Robert reveals intimate details of his journey from the cancer spreading throughout his entire body, from spreading through his ovaries, through his cervix, and even uterus, metastasizing through other parts of his body. So director Kate Davis of Southern Comfort captured Robert taking pills. He goes from utilizing a cane to only being mobile in a wheelchair were spared on-screen interactions with medical professionals and other hateful beings, but details about his medical insurance that at least at the time of his diagnosis, he does not have. We learn little about his finances, though we know he owns the property which where his trailer sits. And quite often you will see some of the film filmed at his home in Tacoa, Georgia. Lola, his partner, 
had an office job for which she pretended to be a cisgendered man. Robert and his friends referred to doctors who said it would threaten their professional practice to see a quote-unquote transsexual terminology used. This is this antiquated terminology used at the time of audience, a transsexual. Um, he adds that, Robert adds, that it's kind of a cruel joke that the last and only part of me that was female was killing me. He speaks in the past tense as if he had already knew that he was dead, as if it had already killed him. He, my audience, quotes that this cancer and the lack of medical care had already killed him. He even knew in his heart of hearts that he had a chance of living if someone, anyone, would give him a chance, take him on, excuse me, as a patient. And as we continue to go through this case, I must remind each and every one of you that Robert was not the only one, the only trans, non-binary, intersex, and two-spirit community member to experience this form of Southern discomfort. There had been other, plenty of others who could and would share their own hunting tales of hateful behavior by the hands of their medical providers. Some who had medical insurance and then from those who did not. Let's take a moment and learn about some of their personal experiences. My name is Leo Sell and my pronouns are they, them, there. My name is Sophia Stanford, pronouns she, her. I'm Gray, and my preferred pronouns are he, him. Robin Kanawahasa, and I use feminine pronouns, so she, her, hers. My name is Luke Jude, and I prefer he, him pronouns. My name is Chloe Flora. Uh, my preferred pronouns are she or they. Ninety-nine percent of the time when I go to the doctor, I'm anxious and nervous. Even though insurance and driver's license and everything says female, you really don't know what to expect. Yeah, I don't think I know any trans person that went through the medical system and had a nice time with it. Not in this country. I haven't gone to the dentist in four or five years because it's just such an uncomfortable experience. I know people who, if they sprain their ankle, will just wrap it up and put some ice on it rather than going to the ER and having an x-ray done um, because it's just not worth the stress. I've had a history of urinary tract infections. It was pretty um, commonplace for me and I went to the urgent care and the physician on staff that I was dealing with kept telling me over and over how atypical it was for a man to be having a series of urinary tract infections. I tried to interrupt him and say, I understand, you know, I've been through a gender transition, so my anatomy is probably not what you expect it to be. And he kept stopping me. He wouldn't let me complete and assuring me that he did understand, he did understand. And he said, I think I would like to take a look. So I, I pulled down my pants and it wasn't at all what he expected. And he was immediately apologetic. He said, oh, you don't have, oh, I'm, I'm so sorry, I didn't realize. I said, I, I know, we tried to tell you. I initially knew I identified and felt female around five years old when this was caught out by, a fa by my family member who was the director of mental health for the state that I lived in essentially required force correction, like invasive hypnotherapy, uh, corrective assignment and orientation to gender roles, other things to help masculinize and or reprogram the viewpoint of the world to the, to the child. If I had to be this way, I'm gonna walk in front of a car and I'm gonna reset it and try over. That's what I thought when I was six. I had a bunch of different symptoms tied to sleep, tied to appetite, weight gain, mood that had sort of increased in severity over a year. And one of the things that my doctor told me to do was check myself into a hospital next time I had my round of symptoms. So I checked into a hospital and even just within the check-in process, I was misgendered. I finally spoke to the doctor and he came in and was speaking to me as if I was a 13-year-old girl and all of my symptoms were surrounding hormones. And when I started talking about hormones, this doctor in the hospital actually looked at me and said, oh, what do hormones do? I 
didn't think hormones did anything. And he actually checked me out of the hospital. He said, you know, I think that you're just bleeding a lot right now. Um, fast forward three days later from this hospital visit, and I was diagnosed with invasive hormonal breast cancer that tested 99% positive for estrogen. And I think that if I had had the same list of symptoms, but was a cisgendered man, I would have been treated completely differently. So in general, I've been blessed with a good primary care physician and an endocrinology doctor, but I was seeing a specialist for a different medical problem and my records and everything all said female, I have everything changed. And the guy looked at it, he went through all of those steps and then said, so do you dress full-time as a woman? And I was stunned. Um, it's like, do you dress full-time as a man? <laughs> yes, yes, I'm a woman. I am a woman of transgender experience. And of course, it's just like any other woman in your office. The biggest horror story that I had was going to the pharmacy to pick up my first testosterone prescription. I was nerve-wracked already because it's like such an emotional thing to like finally get that golden ticket. It ends up being like a dollar. So it's just the syringes. There's no medicine. Four people later and about 20 minutes, they finally look it up in the computer and they're like, oh yeah, oops. Throughout this entire process, I have to say my legal name, which isn't the name that I go by, um, out loud to the entire store. And I'm basically outing myself to everyone around me. And that's not wanting to hide, that's just about trying to stay safe. Like, some people hear that and they might follow me to my car and bash my head in. During one physical therapy appointment, I had um, one of the therapists misgendered me to an entire room of people, both other physical therapists and other clients. He never looked me in the eye again. He never talked about it, he never apologized. It was just this weight. And especially me as a trans woman, me as a trans woman, I get misgendered all the time. Like, it's something I deal with on a near daily basis. So to have that happen in a medical setting, something where I can opt out of, even though it might not be the healthiest thing, I will. I'd rather protect my own sense of um, mental health. Welcome back, my audience. And as we witness, the discrimination is real, even in our great US of A. These interviews were captured 20 years after the hateful homicide of Robert East back on that Sunday, January 17th of 1999 in the city of Toccoa, Georgia. He too, like the community members from the video, just wanted adequate and medically receptive healthcare and was met with resentment, hostility, and hatred. And as we return, Robert's health continues to decline Lola is lovingly by his side. Before we learn more about Robert Ease and his resilient journey, let's take a moment to learn from a medical provider, a Southern medical provider, who can attest to the provider's perspective of why discrimination occurs at the doctor's office. I was working at a drug and alcohol rehab facility. I got a call from one of the nurses down in the detox unit. She asked me to come down and assess one of the new patients that had arrived earlier in the day. So I went down to the unit and had the pleasure of meeting Ann. Ann's a transgender female, and as her and I started talking, she was sharing with me about what brought her into treatment. But I could hear this fear in her voice, and I could see this worry in her eyes. And she began to tell me that she didn't fear coming into rehab and having to give up drugs and alcohol. Her fear was that the doctors that were going to be treating her would not treat her as her female self. She then told me about this ongoing pain that she has experienced her whole life of being assigned male, but knowing she's female. And what she meant by that is when she was born, the doctor held her up to her parents and based on her genitalia said, it's a boy. She always knew she wasn't a boy. Many years passed and the feelings that she was feeling and, and holding all this in grew and grew and she knew she had to come out to her family. And when she did, it didn't go over so well. Her parents said, absolutely not, you're not a girl. This is not how we raised you. We don't know what you're thinking. Get out. So Anne then found herself on the streets and in and out of homeless shelters. And it's here where she started using drugs and alcohol to numb this pain she fell inside. She told me about her journey of being in and out of hospitals and rehabs trying to get sober. And when she did, the healthcare providers and doctors wouldn't use the correct female name or pronouns. This caused her pain. You see, when I was studying to become a therapist, I wasn't taught how to work with transgender patients. 
I had no idea this would be the patients I'd be working with. But the more I worked with Ann and other patients like Ann, I began to see my mission evolve. And that was to make sure that the transgender community got their health care needs met. The more I looked into this, I saw how this very real fear of violence, discrimination, and this lack of acceptance caused so many of these patients to turn to alcohol and drugs. And I also heard these horror stories of when these patients were seeking medical care and how they were treated and how a lot of their medical needs were ignored. Now let me tell you about Leah. I had the pleasure of meeting Leah a few years back. She's a female and she has a wife and a child. See, Leah was also assigned male at birth and she knew since she was a young child that she was not a male, that she was a female. She hid it from herself and from everyone she knew especially from her wife. Until the age of 50, she couldn't take it anymore. She's like, I can't keep living like this. I got to get honest. She was extremely scared to tell her wife. What if her wife said, this is unacceptable. I want a divorce. Get out. To her surprise, her wife was accepting. She said, I love you, regardless of who you are. I want to help you in every way I can. So she talked with her wife, and she made the decision that she wanted to medically transition, and she was interested in being assessed for hormone replacement therapy, otherwise known as HRT. So she made an appointment with her doctor. She arrived on the day of her appointment early. She filled out all the paperwork, put the name correctly down there, and waited patiently. A little bit of time passed, and the nurse called her back to the exam room. When she got back there, she took a deep breath, and the doctor and the nurse walked in. She extended her hand to the doctor and said, Hi, I'm Leah. The doctor looked at her, didn't shake her hand, and said, Why are you here? She took another deep breath and said, Well, I'm a transgender female. I've known this my whole life. I've hid it from everyone, but I can't do it anymore. My wife's supportive. I can financially afford it. I've got to make these changes. Please consider me and let's evaluate me for HRT. The doctor said, we can't do anything today. You need to go get an HIV test. She couldn't believe it. She was furious. She was angry. She was disappointed. If her doctor treated her this way, how would the rest of the world treat her? First, he wouldn't shake her hand. And second, when he heard she was transgender, all he cared about was getting an HIV test and end of the appointment. He didn't even ask her any of the questions. See, I can understand where... Lee is coming from because the years that I've worked with the community, I hear myths every single day that aren't true at all. A couple of those are every transgender person wants to transition with medication or surgery. Transgender people are mentally ill. This is a disorder. And these people aren't real men and women. These are all myths and untrue. As this community expands and grows older, it is imperative that all healthcare providers be trained on how to take care of their health care needs. Back in 2015, a survey was done and found that 72% of health care providers did not feel well informed on the health care needs of the LGBT community. There's a huge gap in the education and training. Today in this talk, I want to offer a new way of thinking for three groups of people, doctors, the transgender community, and, well, the rest of us. But before we do, I want to cover a couple of definitions that's going to help you wrap your head around gender identity a little bit more. So I hope you've got your paper and pen. Get ready to take some notes. So let's start out with this idea of a binary system. And what this means is before we always thought there was only two, male and female. Get it? Binary, right? So we've come to find out that this isn't true. Gender identity is a spectrum with maleness on one side and femaleness over here on the other side. This spectrum of identities include identities such as gender non-conforming, gender affirming, gender non-binary, two-spirited, three-spirit, as well as people that are intersex. The term transgender is this umbrella term that encompasses all these different types of identities. But for today's talk, I want you to think about transgender as someone who is assigned a sex at birth that doesn't match with who they are as a person and their sense of self. Now, this is very different than biological sex. So gender identity is sense of self. So think of it as what's between your ears, sense of self, who you are. 
This is very different than biological sex, right? Hormones, genitalia, chromosomes, that's what's between our legs. Now you may be thinking, Dr. Christie, I have never questioned who I am. I know I'm a man or I know I'm a woman. I get it. You know who you are. This is how many transgender individuals feel. They just know who they are with that same conviction. It's important to know that there are many different types of identities, and I identify as a cisgender female. Now, for all y'all out there that likes to know how to spell things, cis is spelled C-I-S. It's the Latin term for on the same side of. When I was born, the doctor held me up to my parents and said, it's a girl, all this based on my genitalia. Even though I grew up in a small farm town in Georgia, very much a farm, uh, very much a tomboy, I never questioned that I was a female. I've always known I was a girl, regardless of how I was as a kid. Now, this is very different than someone who's transgender. Now, trans is a Latin term for on the other side of. Think about transcontinental airlines across on the other side of. Someone that's assigned a sex at birth, and they identify on the other side of the spectrum. A transgender male is someone who was assigned female at birth, but their sense of self, who they are, how they live their life, is as a male. And the opposite is, as we talked earlier, a transgender female, someone that's assigned male at birth, but lives their life and sense of self as a female. It's also important to point out here that not everyone that has a non-binary identity identifies with the term transgender. Just so nobody gets confused, I want to point out sexual identity or orientation. That is simply who we're attracted to physically, emotionally, sexually, spiritually. It's got nothing to do with gender identity. So just for a quick recap before we continue on, gender identity between the ears, biological sex, just think of it between your legs, and then sexual identity. Well, sometimes we use our heart, but it's here. Right? Three very different identity spectrums. Now, the average medical student spends about five hours learning about the LGBT health-related needs while they're in medical school. Now, this is despite us knowing that there are unique health risks to this community. And there's an estimated 10 million American adults that identify as LGBT. Most doctors that work with transgender patients, they learn trial by fire. That means they figure it out as they go along, or the patient ends up spending their time trying to teach the doctor how to take care of them. Many doctors don't feel comfortable asking about gender identity. Some don't feel like it's relevant at all to their medical care, and others just don't want to say the wrong thing. Many doctors who say something inappropriate or they say something negative, they may not be coming from a malicious or mean place. They may have never been trained on how to care for these individuals. But this can't be accepted as a norm anymore either. So what happens to a transgender male, for a quick recap, that's someone who's assigned female at birth but lives their life as a male. What happens when this transgender male goes for their yearly gynecological visit? How that doctor treats that patient will set the whole tone for the office. If that doctor treats that male with the correct pronouns, correct name, gives dignity and respect, it's highly likely that the rest of the staff will too. So that's a little bit about my thoughts on doctors, and let's move on to the transgender community. I'm here talking about fear, but y'all know who's really fearful, right? It's a transgender community. Earlier I shared the story about Anne and how she was so worried about going into treatment and not being respected as her female self, and then Leah, who was scared of how her doctor would react, and the second that he didn't shake her hand and order that HIV test, her fears came true. The transgender community needs to be empowered to speak up for their health care needs. The days of remaining silent and taking whatever treatment you can get are over. If you don't speak up for your health care needs, no one's going to do it for you. So what about the rest of us? A lot of y'all, maybe in the next week or a couple of months, are going to have a doctor appointment, right? So let's say you go to your doctor's appointment. When it's over, you feel worse than you did when you got there. What if you felt dismissed by the doctor, that they ignored your needs, or you even felt judged? That's what happens for many of the 1.4 million transgender adults here in the U.S. 
if they're lucky enough to get an appointment. Now, you may be thinking, why is this important to me? I don't, I'm not transgender. I don't know anybody's transgender. Why should I even care? Think of it this way. A transgender individual is human, just like you and me. They deserve competent and trained health care providers, just like you and me. So let me ask, if you don't mind raising your hand, do you know or have you met anyone who is transgender, gender nonconforming, agender, intersex, two-spirited, three-spirited? Thank y'all so much. Lovely. Thank y'all. Every one of y'all who did not raise your hand in the very near future, you will get the opportunity to meet someone that falls into one of these identities. I guarantee it. The number of this community is increasing. That's not because it's a fad or the new thing to do. It's safer to come out. There's more awareness. There's more visibility. There's more safety. So people are speaking up about their true self like never before. That's why it's so important that our healthcare system get on board and make sure that our doctors and healthcare providers are trained to approach these patients with dignity and respect, just like we expect. I remember being in my 11th grade literature class with one of my favorite teachers, Mr. McLean, and he shared this quote by Heraclitus that sticks with me to this day. Y'all may have even heard it. It's, the only thing that is constant is that things will change. Familiar, right? Every single one of us face changes in our lives, and often when we're faced with these changes, we got some difficult decisions to make. Will we remain in fear, stay stuck, and not grow? Or will we face fear with bravery, evolve, take the opportunity to grow? Every one of us face new things. What will you do? Will you remain in fear? Or will you grow? I invite each of you, doctors, the transgender community, and you and I, to face fear together as we walk into this brave new world. Thank you. Welcome back, my audience. Robert Eves was born on December 18, 1945, in Tacoa, Georgia, to his parents, and was loved and adored by them, along with his siblings. Robert always knew he was not like his cisgender siblings and was bold enough to share this with his parents at an early age. He did not feel like his assigned sex at birth. His parents had their views and encouraged Robert to follow God's law, which was marriage and family. Based on the then assigned gender roles, Robert removed the thoughts of being a cisgendered male out of his mind. And for all intents and purposes, went on with life as usual. He graduated high school, married, and had a family between the years of 1964 to 1984. But by that summer of 1984, Robert couldn't deny his truth anymore. He shared with his then spouse his truth as a transgendered man. And the two agreed it would be best for their two children, both cisgendered sons, identified as cisgendered sons, one of them by the name of Todd, who you'll hear a little bit from throughout the episode, speaking about his relationship with his dad and being there for him. But they would go on into their father's custodial care back in their youth. Robert's children did. They would go into their father's care again. And from 1984 to 1999, Robert remained steadfast in his truth as a transgender man, despite family and societal opposition. He was determined to become the man he deserved to be. His parents would later become affirming and, was an, and he was also an incredible grandfather to his loving grandson. Circa 1995, Robert is introduced to a beautiful transgender woman by the name of Lola Cola. The two hit it off and have a romance like no other, my audience. And for the most part, they had a healthy and wholesome relationship, partnership and love story. Let's take a moment and learn a little bit more now. I got some baby rabbits living in there. They do. I met Robert, I remember, a few years ago at Southern Comfort. You know, we were kind of friendly, but nothing much, you know. But this last year has been kind of uh, important for me. I've, like, come out in a really big way. and 
have had some major changes and I'm like finding myself and all this and that and and Robert and I um, kind of renewed our friendship. One, two, three, four, five, six. Lola is the socialite. Lola is the queen of Soko. She is all of the guys' wet dream. All of the guys lust after Lola. I'm grandpa to all the guys. I'm dating Lola. I haven't figured that one out yet. And neither has any of the other guys either. How they missed out and I lucked out. I'm not talking about Whoa. future plans. Fun and dumb. It is soup. It's it's soup. It's something. It's hamburgers, hot dogs, baked beans, potato salad, macaroni salad, coleslaw. This is chili for the hot dogs. Not that many of us. Are you saying we're all pigs? I'm a hard time learning to cook for less than 500. All right, let's have some some grabbing. <laughs> now a little more grabbing. Wait a minute now. You know, there's plenty of you women here. This is. <laughs> Oh, are we going to do it again? Go for the, it. We're going to do it for the camera. Yeah, we're going to do it again. Ready? <laughs> Welcome back, my audience. And as we witnessed, their love story is one that evolved over time, but also withstood the test of times. As Kate Davis continues to capture the love story of Robert and Lola, there is this glimmer of hope where Robert is finally given hopeful and uplifting news. He was finally accepted into treatment to combat his cancer. It's 1997. Robert is now a patient of the Medical College of Georgia. He is undergoing surgical, medical, and radiation therapy. Unfortunately, it does little to no good. His health declines. In Robert's remaining days, he wants the world to know just how preventable this could have been if the medical and healthcare systems in the state of Georgia, but also everywhere in the world, would have just treated him with dignity and respect that he would not have experienced such Southern discomfort. It's now 2020, 21 years later after the hateful homicide of Robert Eads, former United States President Donald Trump enacts anti-trans and anti-drag propaganda and legislation. A few representatives of Lambda Legal share their outrage at the then president's hateful rhetoric regarding our trans community in the healthcare system. When I first heard about the rule, I was not surprised, uh, but I was deeply hurt. When I heard the news, my first reaction was frustration because the Trump administration yet again is targeting the most vulnerable Americans. My first response was, how does this make any sense? Absolutely morally reprehensible that in the middle of a pandemic, that the Health and Human Services Agency, the agency tasked with ensuring the public welfare of the entire country, has prioritized stripping clarification that LGBT people are protected under the law. The cruelty of the Trump administration towards trans people really knows no bounds. It also violates the rule of law. Court after court has held that LGBTQ people are protected under federal law, including Supreme Court case law precedent from last Monday. Afraid of being in need of life-saving health care and being turned away because I'm trans. As a transgender woman, I know that there are limited places where I live to access trans-competent care. Because I know that healthcare professionals, if they are focused on my trans status, then they are not gonna be as focused on the emergency healthcare needs um, that I have in that moment. And that is truly frightening to me. What were to happen if I get in a car wreck, for example, and an ambulance has to come and provide care and I have to be taken to a hospital, perhaps in a more rural part of my state, um, I'm honestly afraid that I would be discriminated against, um, that folks might not provide the best care because of who I am as a trans person. It happened to Robert Eads, it happened to Tyra Hunter, it happened to so many other people who don't know their names. It's clear that it can happen to any of us. Given that we're living in a pandemic, that danger is here and now, it's not hypothetical. I wish that healthcare providers knew 
uh, that trans, like understood that trans people are people. I wish healthcare providers knew that trans folks are just like everyone else. Um, we have some specific healthcare needs, but by and large, we just need to access healthcare just like any other person. I wish that healthcare providers understood that being trans is just more part of who I am. I think that's a really big piece here. Um, healthcare providers are often focused on trans people's trans status rather than all of the healthcare needs that they have. Um, they bring biases to them, particularly for trans people of color, that impacts the healthcare that trans people get on an everyday basis. I am a strong believer that trans is good. I am a transgender woman. I'm transgender. Healthcare is a right. Healthcare is a right. Healthcare is a right. Healthcare is a right. You didn't stop the rule. Stop the rule. Stop the rule. So we're gonna stop it for you. Welcome back, my audience. And as we witness the humiliation and hate our community continues to receive in healthcare, it's unconscionable. Why must we, as transgender, non-binary, intersex, and two-spirit community members continue to be isolated, disregarded, disposed as if we are not humans with hearts and emotions? Why? January 24th, 1999, Robert Ease is laid to rest with his loved ones, including Lola, at his side. Director Kate Davis still, to this day, feels protective of Robert. As an accomplice to our community member, as an honorary community member, and as we prepare to conclude our case, I want to take a moment to learn about his final remarks. Tomorrow afternoon, my oldest son will be here. I haven't seen him for just about a year. And then on Saturday, my mother and father and my gorgeous grandson will be here. He's three years old and he is the light of my life. To him, I'm not one thing that I used to be and one thing I am now. I am, always have been, and always will be his papa pure and simple and that that's I just am you got your luggage packed okay you'd be real good so you can come to the farm I love you too buddy you my tater that's right you my sweetie tater pie I don't think there's anything better to leave your children than, than land that's home. I intend to die right here in this trailer. I'm to be cremated and my ashes spread on the land here. And then this land will pass on to my children and hopefully from them to their children. From the time I was a small kid, I knew that God intended for me to be a parent. So I found a suitable man that I could deal with, and I married him, and I have two wonderful sons. Yeah, we'll let it soak like that for an hour and then turn it. 
I was hesitant to make this trip. I was because I had heard how mom's condition was. And a big part of me didn't want to remember my mom that way. Because the last time I saw mom, she was still, he was still in control of of herself. What? Western hickory cooking chunks. That's it. When I was pregnant, oh God. It was marvelous in you know, feeling this new life growing inside me, but it made it even more evident what a betrayal my own body was to me. I'm not sorry for it, but it was a very hard time. The only time in my life I have ever felt like a homosexual is when I was married to their biological father. Because I am now and always have been a heterosexual male. I like women, I always have. I've never felt like a lesbian. I was just a man that loved women. And to have to be a man and be pregnant, I mean, that's just, (laughs) I can't explain to you exactly how bad it was. It, it was. It was the worst and the best at the same time. We remember you, Robert Eads, born December 18th, 1945, and resting on since January 17th, 1999. Yesterday, today, tomorrow, forever, and always. Thank you so much, my audience, for tuning in to Season 5, Episode 4, The Murder of Robert Eads, Southern Discomfort. And a huge thank you to a hateful homicide staff member, our illustrator and short stories creator, Matthew Nishi, a phenomenal Southeast Asian trans man who recommended this episode. Thank you again, my audience. And please stay tuned for season five, episode five, The Murder of Julie Doe, introducing the Trans Doe Network. Coming soon on Spotify, Apple, iHeartRadio, Amazon, and YouTube. Please follow us on Instagram, TikTok, X, YouTube, and Facebook, A Hateful Homicide. Thank you and have a great day. (laughs) Bye-bye.